I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Hey there, freedom seekers. Ever wonder about the hero that lives inside of you, ready to conquer the business world? Well, if you've been listening to our show for a while, then you know that we love exploring hero myths and using them to better understand our own heroic journeys. I wanted to make these stories even more actionable for you, so we built a way for you to uncover your business superpowers, avoid potential pitfalls, and see your entrepreneurial journey in a whole new light. Ready to discover your business owner hero type? Check out the show notes or head over to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash quiz to take our free quiz and learn which heroic energy you embody in your business. It only takes a few minutes and it's free. Your heroic journey awaits. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm here with Clayton Olson. And today we are talking about something that I think is really going to be relevant for a lot of people, which is the concept of worthiness. Now we're going to talk about it a few different ways and get at what this concept is and how it might be showing up in your life and then what you can do about it. I'm excited to have the conversation with you, Clayton. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think this is a far-reaching, really big topic that affects many, many different categories of places where people are trying to create results, whether it's in business, whether it's in relationship. This thing of worthiness, it can show up and it can be really sneaky and it can be really tricky because it manifests in different forms. It's not always just apparent like, oh, you know, I don't feel worthy because often there's a lot of shame around that. It comes out in these other kind of compensatory ways that if we have a keen eye, we can start to spot as coaches and really be able to create some movement around. Yeah, I really like that distinction too, that, that it can show up as sneaky because there, there can be shame around it. Even like to acknowledge to ourselves that we experience something like unworthiness, like we might create a filter. Our brain will create like a filter of reality that just doesn't let us see it that directly. And it'll show up looking like other things. Like what are some of the ways that you see it in your work with clients? I'm going to start actually with myself, right? Mm. Number one, like... You know, I've noticed in myself, the way that unworthiness is manifested is through overworking and oftentimes through a lack of boundaries around working. And that's something that I've struggled with a lot in my 20s, became more aware of it in my early 30s. And it's something that I dance with today, where if all of a sudden I notice myself overworking and putting in too many hours and feeling like I don't deserve to have a break, deserve to play more. I know that there's a component where I feel like I'm working to bolster my worthiness so that I then deserve time to play, to relax, to recharge. And so that's something that's very particular to myself. And I also see that happen with my clients too. But there are other manifestations of it as well. A couple others are, one is paralysis. So it can show up in this idea that maybe you've got a direction that you want to move in. There's something that you want to start. There's something that you want to create. And rather than actually taking action, we begin to slow down and almost do too much research. And so the paralysis can masquerade as analysis and research. And I need to get prepared and I'm not ready yet. I just need to learn more. 
I just need to learn more exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because when you're saying that you have that history of overworking, I'm I'm thinking how for me, it's shown up the exact opposite way. I would call it like procrastination or just like, oh, I have these things to do and I'm just like, uh, not quite doing them. And it's not always clear why I'm not doing it in the moment. Like even my conscious story of it is not always clear of like why I'm not taking the actions that I've identified for myself to take. And I think that a lot of times that worthiness story is what's really showing up at the root of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, totally. Yeah. And it's interesting because what I think about in this, and this is not just for myself, but also for some of the clients that I'm working with, when these kind of things pop up, the overworking, the procrastination, sometimes it expresses itself as the imposter syndrome, feeling like I'm a fraud. I'm not, if I'm, I'm about to be found out, what is the paralysis and the overworking? What is it protecting us from often? Right. What is the feeling that it's protecting us from feeling? What are we trying to escape through those strategies? That's something to get curious about. This is one of your positions, as I understand it, though, that you take in coaching pretty regularly. And I love this. It's like, what's the thing for? Not what is it doing like in a negative sense? Right. But like, what is it doing in a positive sense? How is it really doing its best, whatever this pattern is to serve us? Right. And so I love that question that we're exploring right now. And maybe these are all, they're related. I think they're going to be related. But, you know, like for me, it's like, if I take that action and it doesn't get the result that I wanted it to do, like if, I, if I'm not able to do the thing that I thought that I was able to do, then that's going to mean something about me. And I'm going to be less, like people are going to like me less. I won't be invited to parties. <laughs> you know, I won't be able to connect with friends or whatever. Somewhere in there, that's what's happening is like, I, I, like, I feel like I'm going to get rejected if I do the thing and it doesn't go the way that I want it to go. Yeah, great. Beautiful. I can relate to that. And I think a lot of people can, where it's almost as if we are trying to avoid coming face to face with a confirmation of our unworthiness or a confirmation that maybe we failed. And so we avoid the task altogether or we, and it's almost like a bird flapping. We, we flap with overworking to try to avoid crashing into that area of mm -hmm. ourselves of feeling like, we're rejecting ourselves, or where we feel like a failure. Yeah, totally. I like the idea that there's something beautiful in there. There's something that it's like, it's doing for us. If it's protecting something like love or connection for us, if it's like really trying to preserve our ability to have meaningful human relationships with other people, which I mean, evolutionarily, that's really hardwired in for us because our ancestors couldn't get rejected because then you'd die if you weren't in the tribe. But also I think in terms of the meaning that we make out of life, I think connection is really up there for most, most human beings. Being in connection with other human beings is really important. Yeah. The piece that I want to interject here for anybody listening to, like just to kind of go meta for a moment, what I love about the place that you're taking this conversation is that you're beginning to open up and almost uh, recontextualize the relationship one might have with that part of themselves that procrastinates or that part of themselves that overworks. And I think that's so important because oftentimes what has us get stuck in these strategies that don't actually work, that aren't effective, is that we are believing that there's some form of self-sabotage, that there's some aspect of ourselves that's trying to thwart us or hold us back, that we have this internal part that's against us. And so you going into and looking at how this strategy is a way in which we're trying to preserve love or connection with friends is really powerful because only through and from my learning and understanding about this is only through us 
having a relationship where we understand the positive intention of that part, do we actually start to get access to be able to have a communication, a dialogue with it and start to change it and come up with a different strategy? Totally. Because otherwise there's this almost like rejection of self. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, there are parts of me that are bad or like unacceptable. I can't let them in. And once we're doing that, now we're like creating a divide in ourselves and we can no longer access that part which again is in service of something that we really love. So we're creating a, we're setting up a conflict inside ourselves. If this thing is there to protect connection, love, you know, inclusion, things like that, that are really like important to us, significance, maybe meaning. And then we're saying, oh no, that's the tip of the iceberg, which is the procrastination or the overwork or whatever the the strategy is that we're trying to access those values with. We're like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're saying, oh, you, no, nah, I got it. I can't, I can't even look at it. I just like have to judge that. And cause also there's this story that if we judge ourselves, somehow we get better. <laughs> like, oh, oh, if only I could, you know, why, why can't I, these are the kinds of questions that I hear people ask. And it's like, yeah, yeah. beat ourselves into progress. Yeah. Right. Beat yourselves into progress as though we can just kind of whip ourselves. But then we wind up with like a slave master complex inside ourselves. Right. Well then what happens? Cause even then the part that wants to move forward, that's like trying to like encourage the other one as effectively or ineffectively as it is. Now it's doing something good for us, but also now there's this resentment because what happens if somebody convinces us to do something that we didn't want to do in the first place? Well, now we resent that person for doing it. Right. And so if this is happening inside us, we're creating more tension and then it takes so much work to maintain those things. This is where I think we like start to get into burnout too, like feelings of just exhaustion because in, now in addition to the, the simple thing of like writing the email that I wanted to write, now it's like, well, there's that. But also now there's the constant battle <laughs> between the two parts of myself that is charged up around that email. And it just winds up taking so much more time, so much more energy. Yes, yes. And another manifestation of that. So to manifest what you're talking about into the, the real world, what this might look like externally is you might notice yourself operating in your business or in your relationship using the word should. Oh, I should be doing this right now. Or I have to do this. Or I ought to be doing this. Or I need to do this. Right? So it moves something away from the connection of our heart, our true inspiration, and starts to put it into this kind of arbitrary, externalized idea of what we should be doing. Our authority is suddenly outside of us. And now we're, like you said, we've got this kind of master-slave relationship on the inside that we're responding to. Which is so ironic because it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If I'm split internally and I've turned against myself, I'm going to feel more unworthy. It doesn't actually correct the issue. Say more about that. Yeah. So if I turn against myself and I think that this overworking is actually a part of me that is just against me in some ways that wants to burn me out, or I feel like the procrastination is a part of me that's self-sabotaging of my progress because of the part, again, that, that has it out for me, that just perpetuates the unworthiness because the divide creates more unworthiness. And so just by us underlining that whatever part you're experiencing that has a strategy that is having you procrastinate or feel paralysis or imposter syndrome or overworking, that that part's actually does have a positive intention for you, but the method it's using to carry out that positive intention might be outdated. And we can start to see that this thing actually is just an antiquated protection mechanism. It's ultimately there for us. We can actually begin to start to feel worthy because we're not divided on the inside. We can start to have compassion for that part, create a better dialogue with it, more rapport with self. 
and then start to choose a different way. What I'm hearing is if we set ourselves up in opposition to ourselves this way, like if we've got these two parts that are operating in conflict inside ourselves, we're setting ourselves up with a no-win situation. We're either the lazy slave who needs to be beaten into submission, or we're the overbearing master who never has any time for play or rest. We're in this, this dynamic with ourselves where there's neither part of us is lovable the way that it is. And so then that undermines our worthiness. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. That's what I'm hearing you That's say. That's great. You got it. You got it. Yeah, exactly. It's so interesting because I, I think this is so useful because you're talking about parts and I want to ask you to double click on it. There's jargon in here. We hear parts and we hear that, but also there's like, there's the parts like internal family systems therapy and like parts work. And I know that that's something that you do. You've, you've actually helped me with this before um, in the past. I, I, and I'll tell the story in a minute, but I remember working through this. But can you explain a little bit more? Like when you're saying the word parts, what are you talking about? Yeah. So there's this concept, uh, this gentleman by the name of Richard Schwartz really brought this into the, the forefront of psychology. And it's this idea that human beings are a constellation of parts and that we're not just a whole consciousness that we have parts of ourselves, different parts that come online during the course of our lives, different parts that are created during the course of our lives, especially in younger formative years, to help us survive and make sense of situations that are traumatic or confusing. They help us insulate ourselves from re-experiencing the same kind of trauma that we experienced as a young person. So a part will come online as a protector to help us from going back to that really painful spot. So we can have a part that is really good at cracking jokes. We can have a part that is really good at being invisible. We can have a part that's really good at performing. We can have a, a, an inner child part. We can have a part of us that's like the champion, the cheerleader, the mother, the mother. Yeah, it's a, there's an infinite amount of parts that we can create. And each one has a positive intention for us. If we take the time and have the presence to really dig in and get deep to understand what it is that it is. But again, there's always a difference. There's typically a difference between the intention that part has for us and the methods that it uses to carry out those intentions. And so as we grow, grow older in life, especially as we're expanding, we start to come into contact with our own kind of glass ceilings and wonder why we're not able to move past a certain place, why we're able to not maybe create the thing we consciously want or step into a new role that the world is inviting us into. And it's because there's oftentimes a part or parts that are firing off these warning signs and executing their strategies to try to keep us safe. And this idea, this way of looking at it is so powerful because it stops putting us in opposition with ourselves and starts realizing that it's like we're a company of parts and it's about internal negotiation to be able to move forward. It's really powerful work to do. I mean, my experience with this, this was before I was like really getting this business off the ground and I was stuck in this procrastination thing. This is what I'm, this is the pattern that shows up for me. I remember like I would have this story where I would just like be beating myself up about what I wasn't getting done and just really like having that story go be alive for me. And then what I wound up doing, and maybe you, you'll remember, so I don't know if this was with you or with somebody else, but I wound up kind of splitting them. I named the two parts of me and I don't remember the names that I gave them, but they felt appropriate to me at that time. But I put them in dialogue with each other. Now that it sounds silly, right? Like that sounds like a play pretend, like, I don't know, some kind of weird esoteric thing, but actually something really powerful happens when you're doing that. Cause you're just being both parts and you're like speaking on their behalf. And the game that I was playing was really like speaking 
from the place of what they want for us. Okay. Because like, so just to kind of give an example, like a police officer, for instance, at its highest and best, it's there to protect society and make sure that people like are able to function together in an effective, easy, free way. At its worst, it's an oppressive force that has, that wears death on its hip. What was happening is I was only looking at in these two parts of myself, the lazy, like slob who doesn't want to get anything done and the oppressive like master who nothing's ever good enough for. And so what I did when I put them into conversation was I, I was like really speaking for what they were wanting rather than their strategy, their objective and drawing that distinction for myself. So it's like the, the lazy slob was like, really, no, just wanting to, to have fun and play and like ease and those are lovely things to want in the world, right? And the master was just wanting success and also wanting ease and play and fun, just knowing that it would be even easier on the other side of doing all these things that would build the business and make it more effective, right? And so they actually, like, literally, I was, like, moving around the room, having a conversation between these two. So I'd be, like, in one position, and then I'd, like, turn, almost like I was doing a TikTok video or something like that, you know what I mean? And having this conversation between these two, and it wound up being really powerful kind of this ability to kind of bear hug myself from giving them the opportunity to speak for what they were wanting rather than the strategy that they were employing to get what they were wanting, which was very different. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. That's such a well articulated process of how this stuff works. And just to tie it back to worthiness for a moment. So what was the effect this had on your worthiness before and after? First of all, the, the impact of that was profound because immediately just doing that exercise literally once, and I did do it a couple extra times over the course of the next week or month, maybe, but just doing the conversation once I immediately felt more inspired. What happened was the, my relationship with the work itself changed. And I was actually just talking to Paige about this last night. Cause my, now my relationship with work is that it's like a series of things that I really like enjoy doing all of these different things because they're all like steps along the path to these things that I want to create in the world. And they're really, that are really cool. Right. And so my relationship has completely shifted. I no longer feel like I'm like beating myself up or if I'm like playing a video game, there's not a part of me that's saying you're wrong. You're bad. Get off this fucking video game. You're like such a horrible person. Like get up, you lazy, like, which that was the language that I was using before, which that doesn't help. It's not like, it's like using the the power of affirmation in a not useful way. Right. Like, <laughs> It immediately changed my relationship because I started to contextualize, I guess, differently what the thing was. I actually realized that these two parts of me had alignment, that they both wanted freedom and play, that they weren't like at odds. They were just like they had different strategies. Yeah, I love that. That kind of inner alignment. It's such a great process to create that because I, I do think that as we're speaking about this, that this idea that we're not worthy is often a reflection of some type of lack of alignment that's happening inside of us. The fact that we're kind of, that we're calculating, right? This idea that we're either worthy or not worthy. It's a really interesting calculation. Something that you and I were talking about was just this idea that, you know, when we're born into this world, we're not calculating whether we're worthy or not. There's something that happens in the course of our life where suddenly we make this, we, we learn to throw this idea of worthiness and put our sense of worthiness on the chopping block as if it can be taken away from us. And you were mentioning that one of the things that you might do with somebody as you're working with them is just kind of help them look at the younger version of themselves. And it's 
Just like, is there any baby that we can point to that that is oh, yeah, inherently unworthy? Themselves necessarily. Like, pick any right. baby and and right. ask yourself: Is that baby worthy of love, affection, attention? Right. Right. And most people, <laughs> I haven't met anybody that said no yet, but I'm just, it's, maybe it's possible. Most people will say, yeah, the baby's worthy of love, attention, and affection. And then we ask, okay, cool. Well, what are they doing to get that worthiness? And most people will say nothing because babies actually can't really do anything. They're, they don't contribute to society in any larger way or anything, really. They're just, they're just constantly taking they're loving, maybe whatever, but they're being, and just by virtue of their being, they're worthy. And so then we might ask, okay, cool. Well, if you agree that the baby is worthy and that they're not doing anything to get the worthiness, by what mechanism, how would they lose that worthiness? What happens where now all of a sudden we're not intrinsic? Now we have to do things to earn our worthiness, right? When does that happen? And a lot of times this will reveal like a key piece of the, the worthiness story for people. Totally. It might all of a sudden pop a memory or bring them back to a particular point where their system calculated that it was actually safer to say I'm unworthy than to make the world the problem. Right. One of the things that I've learned is that it's a lot easier for a child to make themselves the source of the problem than it is to make the world the source of the problem, because if they make themselves the source of the problem, they have hope that they can actually be the source of the solution then. And so we carry on in life and we, we grow older and we forget that we made this calculation. And then suddenly we start to grow and we come up against this old ancient programming. And ancient programming. I love that way of looking at it because it's like, you know, it just needs to be rewired if we want to have a more free life, right? There's nothing wrong. It's just the programming that, that we cultivated. Like my go-to example is for a seven-year-old, it's really good advice. Don't talk to strangers, right? Not because every stranger is bad, but because the risk of making a mistake one time and the, and the calculations that you might have to make in order to avoid that risk are too complicated to explain to a seven-year-old. So it's easier to just make a blanket rule. Don't talk to strangers, right? Cause it, it's, it'll, it's likely to keep you safe. But for a 37-year-old business owner, don't talk to strangers is actually shit advice. That's really, that's really bad advice for me, for any of my goals that I might have in the world, right? And yet for the intervening 30 years, right, I've been cultivating and practicing, habituating and running the program, don't talk to strangers, right? And so if I don't go in and consciously rewire that, rewrite that programming, what was once a feature is now a bug, Right. It was supposed to be that way. It was really helpful at one point, And now it's just really not. And so it's just an opportunity to rework on our on the operating system that is our mind. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. I love that uh, feature into a, a bug analogy. That's great. I'm just thinking, so what are some other ways that you feel like you're able to, like when this idea of worthiness with a client, a business owner comes up that you're working with, what are some other ways, uh, and I'm curious, do you have other ways that you may help open them up to complete this, complete this program or move beyond it that you've used in the past or where do the conversations go? I'm going to ask you the same question because I'm really interested in hearing how you address it with people. But one of my go-to things with clients is affirmations, not because I think affirmations are the, the magic cure-all of self-work, although they're very powerful. The tendency to believe that we're just observing the world is really strong. 
we don't realize the active role that we're taking in the creation of our world. And I mean, this goes into a lot of neuroscience and also like just a lot of philosophy that maybe this isn't the episode for it, but just the awareness that we just think about this. You're not getting any data from the universe. You're getting data filtered through your five senses. So if nothing else, you don't actually have access to what's going on outside your body. You only have access to your filtration of it through your five senses, right? And not just those five senses, but like the stories that we tell about those five senses. But this is really powerful because what we're doing is we're, there's too much data to process all the time. And so what we do is we take these shortcuts to process the data. I see lamp rather than the, there's so much going on in lamp. There's the circular, there's the light, there's the shadow. There's so many different data points that I can't even, can't process that and do other things in my life. So my brain just says lamp and it only does lamp if I even actively look for lamp or I have a way to look for lamp in my life. There are things going on in any listener's environment right now that you're not aware of. And I could invite you to tune into one of them. Like for instance, your left heel, you probably were not thinking about your left heel before I just mentioned it, and now your awareness is on it. And that's how we create our reality with our awareness, because now it's in everybody's awareness if you have a left heel. So the idea is what we're doing with affirmations is we're tuning up our mind to look for things in the world, and we're doing practice to prime ourselves out to notice things. And so uh, like the concept of confidence, worthiness, like I love just the affirmation, I am worthy. I ran that for probably 20,000 reps, from, uh, gosh, I cannot think of her name, but she got really famous for just like having, basically helping people do this one affirmation of I am worthy. And I heard it and I was like, cool, that sounds like a great affirmation to run. So I'll have people do affirmations and in conjunction with not just saying the words, but really imagining to yourself, what would it be like if that were true? If you 100% believed I am worthy, if you believe that to your core, there's no situation where you're not worthy, Right. How would you show up? What would it be like? What would you notice? How would other people be responding to you? Like really build a world, a visualization for yourself. Because what we're doing is we're trying to make little hooks that we can grab onto when we're out in our reality so that we notice evidence of when we're worthy, of when we're believing that we're worthy, of when we're like noticing to ourselves that we're worthy. Because the more we do that, the more likely we are to update this operating system. This is just one of the ways of actually like getting in and doing the, the neural rewiring that's one, the visual, the power of affirmation combined with visualization is something. And then the other flip side of that is the action piece of it. So just behaving as though, how would you stand if you felt absolutely worthy? Would your shoulders be back? Would your chest be up? What would your voice tone be like? How would you be standing? How would you be looking in the world? Would you be looking people in the eyes or would you be looking at, the, at your feet? What would your world be like? And then do that. Just behave as though you're worthy for a while. You don't have to believe it. Don't worry about any of that. Just like actually put it in your physiology, in your posture and go about doing it that way and act from that place and see what happens. Beautiful. Beautiful. You, you stole, you stole mine from me right there. I loved it. You, you went from affirmation to visualization. I was going to talk about visualization. And so I just want to underscore how I, how important I think some of those questions are that you just asked, like this idea of like, and I'm not sure if you said this specifically, but it's how will you know when you're operating as worthy in the world? This idea of getting, creating a three-dimensional model of a version of yourself out there in the future that you can step into and test drive. Or in the alternate reality where it's already existing. I love that one too. Like not even necessarily the future. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So stepping in and being able to allow your, your system, your imagination to step in and actually feel this. You know, the, your unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a dream and reality. Our conscious minds do. And so when we give our 
ourselves visualizations and we allow ourselves to associate into them and step into them, even breathe into them, feel what it's like. There's a way in which we create a signature that we can tap back into. It's like we create a tone and then we allow our present state self to tap into that tone and, and experience it. Now, I'm going to take this one step further just because you did talk about visualization and there was something else that popped up that is something that I love to explore with clients when I'm working with them is to look beyond the worthiness and into the potential problems that they will now have as a result of being worthy. Making it like an extra layer of reality. Yeah. And look, look into the ecology around why perhaps they, their system is choosing unworthiness. So if we look at everything that's happening within our bodies as a choice, in our minds as a choice, there's actually really good reason that we're choosing to live into the story of being unworthy. It's protecting us from something. What kind of problems is it protecting us from in this possible future? Like, for instance, if I want to get into a relationship and I'm just perpetually single, what is it that I might value? What is it that I value that I might lose if I suddenly got into the relationship? If I'm wanting to take a leap of faith with my business and there's shoes that I want to step into, what are the, some of the potential problems on the other side of that that my unconscious mind is trying to protect me from? Because when I can start to make those conscious and I can start to say yes to the inevitable problems that are on the other side of me getting what I want, I'm actually able to choose more completely that state of being without this kind of rubber band effect of me snapping back and quote unquote self-sabotaging because I don't feel like I'm ready to deal with the problems that are going to come. Because then there are these like unconscious fears that are, that are standing in our way that we don't even know. Back to my story about like having a hard time getting myself to take action. I think a big part of it was me. This would not have been conscious to me unless I had a really deep conversation about it like this. But at the time, I was believing that if I was actually to take the actions that I had outlined for myself, that I could create a successful business. But now I would be responsible to a whole bunch of people in an ongoing way and my calendar is going to be full. And like, now I'm like, I've made these commitments and I'm showing up that way. And it's like, I, like, I think there was a story that it would be impinging on my freedom. And so like, if you got that, even in your best case scenario of taking the action, what likelihood is there of you taking an action unless you're reconciled to that and you actually can. Dude, you got it. And that's, this is the beautiful piece because then when you make it conscious like that, you can actually start to question whether or not that's true. Is there a way in which I can actually create a successful business and create more freedom rather than having less freedom? And so now you can start to set your sights on. You can get even more specific with what you want, right? I want, I want worthiness that propels me into deep and total freedom within the work that I do. And then suddenly we find that our system has less resistance to that because now we're getting really specific about excavating these unconscious fears that have been previously holding us back. One of the things that comes up in relationship too, just as people say, you know, I want to be in a relationship and there's a deep unconscious fear of engulfment of losing themselves. Mm. It's, all, it's always about freedom. <laughs> yeah. That's a, another great way of putting it. Yeah. Mm. And, and freedom and safety. That's the constant uh, tension I think that exists between freedom and safety, right? Like how do we have security, but also how do we have freedom? Cause like, you know, a lot of clients, they are, and me, I myself, I was like, Oh, I can always go back to corporate. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. but then you're trading your freedom for safety. Whereas if we leave, there's like, it's risky to start a business. It's risky to do, you know, to go into a relation to new, a new relationship, uncharted territory where someone might see you, right? That, that's risky, but that's also where freedom lives is in that place. So I think it's a really interesting tension that exists. 
We could also be clear, too, that it might actually be safer to start your own business than to stay in corporate. It might actually be safer to be in a relationship than it is to not be. So we can start to mess with that a little bit, which also loosens things up and has us questioning some of these premises that we're operating from that have been keeping us stuck. Yeah, which I mean, that and that sounds like just to put a bow on it, that sounds like the kind of work that you're, you're talking about. So we put ourselves into that future world. We say, OK, now what problems do we have there? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, OK, cool. Well, actually, can we change our relationship to those problems such that yes. they're not problems anymore for us? Yeah. 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 Totally. Love that. Dude, this is awesome. Anything else you'd like to add or make sure that we, we mention on this topic? Just to say one final thing to that piece is I'm working with somebody and they imagine this desired state what it is that they want, worthiness or a relationship, or they want to start an entrepreneurial endeavor. And we talk about, you know, what is it they might lose that they value? And they say, nothing, nothing would all be good. You know, I I know that we haven't really excavated the reality of the situation, the full picture of it. So just notice that even within yourself is... You mean you found the one thing that didn't have a downside? The one thing in reality that had no downsides? Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if there's something that you're wanting and you've noticed that you've been wanting it for a while, a version of yourself that you haven't stepped into yet, there's good reason for it. And possibly maybe make a list of 20 reasons as to why it's actually good for you to not get that thing. Ooh, that's a great exercise. Yeah, because paradoxically, what you'll find is as you excavate these things, I, that's my word of the day, excavate right now. <laughs> as you make these things Should we be clear, celebrating every time you say it like in Pee Wee's Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Every time you get clear on these things and you're able to see them in a more conscious fashion, you have much more flexibility and choice to be able to step into it then because now you're not going to be blindsided or T-boned by these unconscious fears. Love that. All right, man. On that note, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap. Dude, this has been a fantastic conversation. I think that this topic would bear repetition. So again, if you're listening to this, you know, I'm going to challenge you to right now, think about what you got out of this and how you can capture it, how you can remember any of these concepts to help you. And is there one exercise that you'd like to do from this conversation? Is there something that you can take action on to really implement this in your reality? Because again, our brains, they don't change from an insight. They change from some kind of practice. You got to where you are by practices. That seven-year-old who programmed in the thing, that was through repetition, right? It wasn't the first time that you saw a stranger that somebody said, don't talk to strangers, that you got it. Okay. It was through repetition. And so you're going to want to repeat to yourself anything that landed for you today. Come up with some way to repeat it to yourself. You can go back and listen to the podcast again. You can do an affirmation. You can write down your insights and check in on them again, but get in the practice of doing this stuff. Thanks for listening. And thanks for the great conversation, Clayton. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.